When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where today we are um, looking at the final chapters of Isaiah and some very obscure religious practices that sought to draw people away from the love of God. We don't really know much about them, but we know that it was upsetting to God. And um, there's also a parallel from Isaiah 6 to this chapter at the very end of the book. Enjoy. destroy it for there is a blessing in it so i will do for my servant's sake and not destroy them all i will bring forth descendants from jacob and from judah inheritors of my mountains my chosen shall inherit it and my servant shall settle there sharon shall become a pasture for flocks and the valley of akar a place for herds to lie down for my people who have sought me. But you who forsake the Lord, who forget my holy mountain, who set a table for fortune and fill cups of mixed wine for destiny, I will destine you to the sword and all of you shall bow down to the slaughter. Because when I called, you did not answer. When I spoke, you did not listen, but you did what was evil in my sight and chose what I did not delight in. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Chapter 65 of Isaiah echoes an earlier chapter of Isaiah, I believe chapter 6, where Isaiah sees the vision in the heavenly temple and a cherub comes from the altar with a hot coal on in a in tongs and places that coal on his lips and the voice comes from the throne who will go for me who will i send and isaiah says here i am send me and here he echoes it again except this is god speaking 
It's also Isaiah speaking. We have said before that in Isaiah, the voice switches back and forth, sometimes verse to verse. Uh, It'll be Isaiah, then it'll be the Lord, then it'll be Isaiah, then it'll be the Lord. And here it seems to be the Lord. And yet these are the very words that Isaiah spoke. Here I am, here I am. Isaiah has said this to God and he has said it to his people. And they didn't listen. They didn't listen to his message. And we don't really listen to his message either. This many years later, the messages of the message of Isaiah in the book of Isaiah has been lost in every generation. And yet, just like Isaiah picked those gems up from what God was telling him that gave him hope in the midst of a very difficult time, we do that as well. Uh, even though the larger world that we live in does not recognize the um, does not recognize the truth of, of Isaiah's message, that consistent injustice brings about judgment, that God is always looking for the human heart to love him and to be loved in return. All these messages of Isaiah that are on every page, that really ultimately to worship God is to do justice on the earth, to care for those who are in need. Um, Ultimately, that message is lost by most people. And yet, Isaiah gets it. He is the one that said, here I am, here I am. And we say that too. Here we are. Here we are. This is the uh, also a description in this chapter of some very idiosyncratic rituals of worship that were found in Isaiah's day from other religions, from the false religions of the gods and goddesses of the world that Isaiah lived in. Every you know, we kind of imagine the past as being very sheltered. I think Disney movies have done a lot to tell us that, um, you know, these people from very small villages and sheltered backgrounds suddenly are exposed to a wider world, new truth, cosmopolitan things. The Little Mermaid, a great example of this, living under the sea and then goes into the world of air and legs and all those things. And that's sort of the trajectory of a lot of fairy tales, ordinary people in extraordinary circumstances. We forget that that is actually just the journey of childhood. All of us have that same exact journey. That's why those movies appeal to us so much as humans, is that we all grew up in a very sheltered, uh, small world of the womb and (laughs) our birth months, the first months of life and life with whoever was raising us. And that's a small world. Do you ever go back to your preschool or um, elementary school and see how small everything was? It seems so big when you were there. Uh, This is the trajectory of all life. We all come from small provincial beginnings, even if we grow up in big cities and all those things. But ultimately, um, that um, 
that, uh, I don't know where I was going with that. I was just thinking about Disney movies, I guess. But um, the practices of these other religions, oh, I, I know what I was saying. We kind of imagine the people of Isaiah's day living in a very sheltered, small environment where they weren't exposed to a lot of things that we know about today because we have the internet. And there's obviously some truth to that. I'm not sure Isaiah knew a lot about people living in Australia um, during his day. I doubt he would have known much about Native American culture from uh, the 6th or 5th century B.C., whatever was happening here in Texas in the 5th, 6th century B.C. Um, we don't really, I doubt he knew much about that, but the world was a world with lots of stories and commerce and backs and forths ideas. And so the religions that Isaiah and the people of God in this time were uh, encountering were the religions of the world. They were the religions of Babylon, the religion of Assyria, the religion of the Phoenicians, the religion of the Canaanites that are still kind of hanging around, the, the religions that just swirled around in the ancient world, even uh, Greece and Rome, the kind of proto-mythology um, of those places that existed in his time. They would have understood and known a lot about them. Um, it's not long after this that um, other world religions uh, come to be. So they were uh, very conversant with the larger culture. It was a deeply religious world, so that would have featured prominently. Uh, there there was, didn't exist that separation that we sometimes make between uh, political power and religious power. Those were often extremely intermingled so that they were indistinguishable uh, to, to anyone that was observing them. All political arguments were religious arguments and vice versa. And I think we could argue that that's still true to, to a large degree today, um, even though we have tried to separate those things for safety and for um, just our own survival as a species so we don't fight about those things that are hard to prove. Um, we still keep coming back to those same battlefields. But the religions of this day, we don't know a lot about them as far as how they practice them. Most of our sources of religion from this time are archaeological, which make no sense. They find a thing that looks maybe like an altar, and then they have to figure out what they did on that altar. There might be an inscription or maybe a picture on a piece of pottery or something, but even that is pretty scarce from this time period. Most of what we know about the religions of Isaiah's world come from Isaiah himself, so not exactly an objective viewer of them. But here they are, the, God is lamenting the, the uh, unfaithfulness of God's people in this time, that they sacrifice in gardens, they offer incense on bricks. Um, incense is mentioned several times in the Old and New Testament. Um, it is generally favorable mentioned. Every once in a while, there is an unfavorable mention. And here is the unfavorable mention of incense, that they're offering incense on bricks. Is this related to um, their building projects? They're building with bricks and they're sort of uh, consecrating those buildings or they've just got, a, got the bricks there on a brick altar. Who knows what? Perhaps this is a reference to the fact that God instructed God's people over and over again to build their altars out of uncut stone, that the stones that have the natural shape of stone are to be the depiction of God in the world. Not that we are making graven images of God. In fact, the uncut stones of the altar of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob 
and subsequent people of God point to the fact that God is unsculptable. You cannot, you cannot um, sculpt an image of God. You cannot engrave an image of God with a chisel and a hammer. The stone is rough and uncut. It is this stone that bowls through and shatters the statue of the nations of the world in the book of Daniel just a few um, hundred years later from the writing of Isaiah. This uncut stone is really the symbol of God in, in a really po- profound way in the, in the Old Testament. Um, I love the Texas State Capitol building, uh, the most recent one that is still standing today. There were several before it that didn't make it. Um, but you'll notice on the base of that building, the stone is very rough and uncut in many places. The outlines of the stone are cut, but the rough sides are maintained um, there in that granite. And as you go further up the building on the side, the stone gets smoother and smoother to the very top. It's very smooth marble. But at the bottom, they're very rough stones, uh, speaking to perhaps the rough beginnings of Texas. And, um, but I think there's something, there's something true in an uncut stone, an un, unsculpted uh, stone that symbolizes God's presence in the world. It is a stone like this that Jacob uses for his pillow when he's running from his, from his brother Esau, running for his life. And while he sleeps on that uncut stone, he uh, sees a vision of heaven, God um, and the angels descending up and down on a staircase or a ladder going back and forth from the heavenly realms to earth. And so um, this image of doing it on bricks might even speak to the Babylonian obsession with bricks. Babylonians were obsessed with bricks. There's very little natural stone in the area of Babylon, um, but there's lots of mud and they make a lot of bricks. It might even refer to Egyptian practices. Egypt um, does have stone quarries, but they build a lot with bricks as well, as we know from the story of the Exodus. Um, But building with bricks was a quicker way to get a building up in many ways than cutting stone in a quarry and hauling it from a very long distance that that Babylonians would have to do. All of the bricks of Babylon were stamped with the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Most of those bricks don't exist anymore as brick isn't as sturdy as stone. You get a couple thousand years of weather in there and it's hard for the bricks to survive. So a lot of Babylonian construction from this time period is, is now not there anymore. Although we do have the Ishtar Gate, which was made out of glazed brick, um, brick that is fired in a kiln. Most brick at this time would have been made uh, with just sun exposure, the sun being the kiln to to set set the brick, uh, to turn it into like a stone-like material. But if you had a kiln, a small oven that you could fire the brick with to make it even um, harder and stronger, and glazed, which is the Ishtar Gate, is glazed from the time of Nebuchadnezzar. It still exists in the museum in Berlin, I think. That's where they took it. There's a replica in the current ruins of Babylon, the museum there. that You can see if you go to, Bag- go to Babylon near Baghdad, Iraq. Uh, but a lot of the bricks are gone. And um, Saddam Hussein, when he rebuilt parts of the city of Babylon, he made sure that the bricks that were built had his name on the bricks, um, just like Nebuchadnezzar of old. Saddam saw himself as sort of a second or third Nebuchadnezzar, as Nebuchadnezzar II is the one who destroys Jerusalem, or Nebuchadrezzar, as he's often called in the Bible. 
But these, we don't know what's going on in the bricks who sit inside of tombs and spend the night in secret places. And they eat swine's flesh with broth of abominable things in their vessels. So you can see that there is both a communal eating um, and it is associated with the dead. Um, ancestor worship, ancestor communication. Again, a very suspect practice uh, for the people of God. It is not that they did not connect with their ancestors. Um, the burial practices of the Old Testament are, are pretty clear and also very, um, very important for the life of the people. But there are these other practices that seek to manipulate the dead, to seek to manipulate people who've already died um, coercively, or perhaps to get them to manipulate people for us, to call on dead people to do things uh, for us is perhaps what is going on in these rituals. We don't really know. There's this association with eating pigs. Um, the, the law of Moses forbids the eating of pigs. And so we see this is happening. The people of God are doing this, a clear violation of the covenant that God made with God's people. Um, don't come near me for I'm too holy for you. Keep to yourself. There is this lack of community that the individual holiness of people um, at the expense of community is one of the hallmarks of this false religion that is being practiced. Um, we live in a time of great individual self-improvement and a call to that, that ultimately um, you have to do that in life to be successful. Rarely do we have calls for community um, self-improvement um, that, are, that are successful or that, or that resonate with people. We need to remember that... Um, our common happiness, our common life depends on each other's work, on each other's toil, and that in joining in that work together, that's where real happiness and community happen. There's smoke in my nostrils, he says, smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all day long. The same fire that we see in the early part, the smoke that fills the temple of incense in the temple that Isaiah sees in chapter 6 here, it is a smoke of anger that God has for this kind of false worship. Um, and so there's this anger, there's this hurt from God. They're offering incense on the mountains. Um, they reviled me on their hills. Um, and, and so um, the judgment of God comes. There's no avoiding it. Um, and it is really, really sad to say that God does not care um, or that God is, is mean in the Old Testament um, is, is ridiculous. God is heartbroken, caring, and loving in these texts uh, as Isaiah writes them and speaks them. Uh, there is this, this allusion in the final verses that um, was read about those who set a table for fortune and fill cups of mixed wine for destiny. I will destine you to the sword and you shall bow down to the slaughter because I called you and I did not an and you did not answer when I spoke you did not listen i really feel like um we as christians have failed deeply failed um to um help people in our world understand that god is still speaking that the way we listen to god is multifaceted certainly through the revelation of nature um but also through the word of God that we have written down um, as the word of God comes alive in those texts um, and also through each other that the Holy Spirit indwells us and we listen to each other 
and hear God speak. And when people don't feel like God can speak, they find another way to get messages from beyond, from the divine, from destiny. We can see this fatalism um, that people are trying to um, determine what will happen to them um, because of their destiny or their fortune. Um, Certainly there's some aspects of fortune telling here um, and divining through um, wine mixing, um, sort of like reading tea leaves, uh, perhaps we might see that. Um, And this is done in opposition to God's voice. Um, And that's not always the case for these practices today. In a Christian context, they're very different, just like eating the swine. If you've ever had bacon in the last year, um, you're in clear violation of this text. If you take it um, without reading the New Testament and reading it through the eyes of Jesus, Um, And so it is for these ways of divining. Um, God does speak through lots of ways. Um, And that is the the truth about Jesus is that God is speaking everywhere, everywhere, even in places you'd never expect. Jesus made that clear. But here, for the people of God, the word of God is not enough. Not enough. So they've got to find other messages. We do that all the time. We are always looking for love in all the wrong places. We are always... Um, trying to get our needs met through shortcuts, and we get cut short, and we wonder what has happened. But ultimately, God loves us. God loves us. And that is the overwhelming message of this text, that all of us fail to listen to God on some level. And yet God still speaks, and we still listen. So what is God telling you today? We are going into the season of Lent, often a time of fasting and prayer Um, where we ask God, what do you want me to do with my life? What do you want me to do here and there? Um, What purpose do I have? Um, How do you want me to handle um, some of the challenges of my life? These are questions of discernment that we can only get if we wait, if we listen, if we listen to what God has already said through Holy Scripture, if we listen to what God is saying through other people if we listen ultimately to what God is saying in our own heart, the ultimate direct line that we have through Jesus Christ. Amen. Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.